What makes you pick up a book, especially if it's an author that you've never heard of? I'm very swayed by recommendations from friends. For you, maybe it's reviews or podcasts. Or would you buy a book based on the recommendations on the cover, saying it was electrifying or compelling or profound or revelatory? Or You get the drift. Book endorsements have become ubiquitous, but how much weight should we give them? Kate Mildenhall is an author and podcaster, and she gets to see both sides of the process, asking for and being asked to give endorsements. Kate Mildenhall, great to have you on Live Matters. Thanks so much for having me, Hilary. How much attention do you personally pay to the author endorsements when you pick up a book and think about buying it or reading it? Look, I have to say, I'm still really swayed by them, even though I now know, after a few years in the industry, uh, how you get those endorsements and where they come from. But I always like to see a combo of different writers uh, on a cover, and I can sometimes be swayed that way. Is it? Does it depend uh, who the endorsing author is or how closely you feel they're connected with the subject matter? Because it's so weird, isn't it, when you see someone who's like, why are they there? Yeah, absolutely. Look, a really big name, um, particularly for Australian books who've got a big uh, international endorsee on the front, um, they'll always kind of get me there. But I think when I chatted to other writers and readers about this, um, many, many writers say they just ignore them uh, completely now that they know what goes into them. That's interesting, isn't it? Because it's they're seen as crucial to generating buzz and sales, are they? Yeah, absolutely. Publishers will now ask, and I think this is where there's some frustration as well, is that publishers are asking for many uh, endorsements. So we we call them puffs in the industry. Um, sometimes they're called praise in the US and the UK in particular. They're just called blurbs often. Um, but, you know, and I have to I have to put my hand up, Hillary, and say that this is a, a point of conflict for me at the moment because I have recently had a book out which had numerous um numerous endorsements on on the cover um so i'm absolutely part of part of this machine uh, and i probably get asked i don't know maybe 40 times a year to endorse books which i obviously can't do all of those well that's interesting isn't it tell us about how much time it takes to do an endorsement because people might go oh look it's two words on the cover utterly electrifying how long did that take how long does it take Yeah, so really interestingly, I spoke to the amazing Australian writer Kate Kennedy about this and uh, she really bluntly said, look, it's it's eight hours at least to read a book uh, and to – you know, write some thoughts about it that don't just look like every other praise um, quote that you've ever seen. So when you think about that, you know, Australian writers on average, and and this varies, but on average earn 18 grand a year from their writing profession. Uh, So to do that unpaid labor, because it is unpaid and it has to be really um, for for those to to be genuine, those praise quotes, um, that's a, a lot of additional labor, unpaid labor that you're looking at. Well, yeah, and that must complicate decisions for you as an author about who to ask and and how to ask them, does it? Yeah, so different writers, we we did an episode on this for our our podcast, on the First Time Podcast, and um, different writers had really different approaches on this. So some very well-established Australian writers just don't ask anymore and, and they actually prefer not to have any praise quotes on their books. And I suppose they're in a position to do that, Hilary, because these these are often authors who um, have been in the game a long time, they've won awards, they've got a readership already. But for new writers, it can be really important to have those additional names on, on a cover. It's really a, a way to get a foot in the door. So publishers will often ask writers to use 
their own networks and to reach out themselves uh, to other authors to ask. And that can be really scary. And and you know you're asking for unpaid labour and, mm. and a favour. So that's really tricky. Well, yeah, I was thinking that people like Jane Caro and Benjamin Law, our own Ben Law, must be very well networked because I've seen their names on a lot of books recently. And I guess that it makes me think that perhaps Australian publishing is quite a collegiate space. Is that correct? Well, it is. And lots of people talked about to the, the goodwill of, of blurbing, um, that it's part of the industry the same way that we launch each other's books or put them on social media, um, the way that we help re- um, other authors by reading for them or um, talking to writers about their work, that the ecosystem of endorsements is just another part of the industry. And um, partly that's why writers say, oh, I don't take any notice because I know that that person did this course or has the same publisher as this person. Um, But it's really important to say too that I very rarely meet a writer who has um, puffed or praised a book that they didn't genuinely admire. So, there, there is also that F, that idea that sometimes writers are asked to endorse a book and they might decline that invitation um, because they're too busy and they can't do it or also because they know it's not a good fit for them. So very few writers would say, yes, I've, I've puffed a book that I didn't like at all. I did wonder whether it was just, you know, who you know or, or something about the inherent worth of the book. We talked to an author recently whose book had uh, quotes on the front from Neil Gaiman and Ooh, Audrey Niffenegger. And it's like, oh, my yeah. God. what? A, and it turns out that Neil Gaiman is a family friend and Audrey Niffenegger was her stepmother. <laughs> but it was See. genuinely a good book. So, Yeah, and that's the thing, genuinely a good book. And sometimes, too, people do, writers do reach out. Uh, and and get a big name from overseas or or get that that quote that they are really thrilled to get. And I can say from the side of someone who has received really wonderful um, endorsements, there is no thrill greater than getting that email in the inbox from a writer you really admire who you've asked or your publisher has asked to read your book and you're not sure if they're going to like it and they say something really lovely like that is such a, a thrill from the writer's perspective so it's a complicated it's a complicated area Hillary at the moment yeah well and Kate Mildon Hall as you're saying you know if you get 20 30 40 requests each year to endorse other people's books and it takes eight hours a pop how do you go about deciding which books you're going to do that for so um the way that I approach it now is that I tend to do a blanket no, that I'm not doing it at the moment because of, you know, other work commitments. And and lots of authors have this position and they'll just say it's a blanket no. Um, and then leave a little bit of space up their sleeve for uh, some writers we talked to for the podcast said books that they had been involved in somehow, perhaps they'd mentored the writer. Um, people said that they do things like um, give preference to debut writers or writers uh, with culturally diverse backgrounds, people that they think might not be getting the same kind of press or marketing. So they're doing something to give them a, a bit of a, um, you know, a foot in the door. Um, other writers said that they tend to look at books that are a good fit with their own brand. So crime writers, you know, will will puff crime books. Uh, romance writers will puff romance books and fair, try and yep. do things yeah, that, that are in the same kind of line. Um, so that's one way to, to decide what you're going to do. And often too, Hillary, writers will now, when we're sent advanced copies, so they're the books that, that come out in advance of the ones that um, hit the shelves, 
if we read them and really enjoy them um, and put something up on social media, publishers will often ask if they can use that, um, th- those words as endorsement as well. Um, so that's something that is, you know, comes from sincere admiration as well. Mm, and are you okay with that given that, I mean, it's, it's also voluntary work, but you've done it for joy? Yes, absolutely. And um, it's it's almost easier that way. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We've been sent the book in advance, but it is uh, easy that way because, you know, oh, this is one that is an absolutely cracking read and I want you all to go out and um, buy it immediately. And I think that readers can, I, I think that readers are discerning enough to tell the difference between um, kind of puffed up marketing speak and genuine praise from from readers who really admire a work. We're speaking with Kate Mildenhall, who's an author and podcaster. We're getting some interesting texts. This one from Catherine. Uh, Kate, I once bought a novel by a New York writer that was covered by ringing endorsements from illustrious writers, and I ended up taking it back to the shop. I didn't think it should have been published. <laughs> the writer's partner was a very well-known writer. I don't know if that was relevant, says Catherine. Ooh, that's that's a stinging uh, criticism. It is. And, actually, and that makes it tricky too, because that's the other thing that can happen if we put our names um, as endorsees of a book, um, then it can be really hard if if a bunch of people don't like that book for some reason and it can reflect back on us too. Yes. Well, and I wonder too if it can be tricky getting the wording right because there might be aspects of a book that you like and aspects that you don't. I mean, I've read some very diplomatic endorsements over the years. Yes. You know, and they you stopped know- short of saying it was very neatly typed. Exactly. And and sometimes um, I, I noticed that last week the Society of Authors in the UK has just um, put out some put out some uh, publicity about the fact that they don't want they want people to pay attention to the misrepresentation of reviews. So I think this was in relation to some uh, wording that had come from a negative review of a Jordan Peterson book that ended up being put as praise on his cover. So, you know, there's those times when a, yeah, absolutely, a a review can have a couple of words taken out of place and can end up (laughs) making it look like the book is astonishing when it's astonishingly bad. That's really interesting. Well, I guess, you know, these days uh, publishing is operating in a much less controlled environment because there's, you know, the advanced copies that go out and the puff pieces that come out, but then there's social media and people saying whatever they like afterwards. Does that mean that we should trust the online assessments a bit more than perhaps what we read on the cover? Look, I think the thing that's really important is that readers will get their information and recommendations from the places that they trust, whether that's their bookseller, whether it's a bookstagrammer, whether it's a friend, whether it's the newspaper um, review pages, the shrinking ones, might I say. Um, So I think readers are really discerning and, and they know what to look for. The joy of finding a book because another uh, an author that you like has puffed something else or recommended it, I really like that. I really like following that trail. Um, but I, I think that I will continue to trust readers to, you know, take into account, yes, the praise on the cover, but also the shelf talkers that booksellers are putting out, the recommendations that other readers they trust are, are talking about, uh, and they can uh, generally work it out. That trust issue is is key here, I think, Kate. I'm going to read this text and then and then uh, ask you a closing question. This one says, uh, very topical subject. I read a lot and I'm influenced by the comments on the cover. I look for names I recognise or newspapers who employ good critics. I'm not so influenced by people who I've never heard of. 
However, I've been wondering, how is it possible that the odd book I pick up because of the immense praise from people I think I respect can be such an awful read for me? I've had a couple of books that seemed very mediocre indeed and didn't merit, in my opinion, the extraordinary praise on the front cover. How does that work? Uh, Could there be some underhandedness going on here occasionally? Well, I mean, it sounds like, Kate, that, I mean, those pieces on the front cover, those quotes are automatic now. And so they're not necessarily an accurate uh, rendition of what's going on in the book. They're marketing. Is that how we should see them? Look, they are. Re- there is increased pressure on authors and publishers and marketing departments to get those um, cover praises. The market is shrinking a bit. Book sales aren't what they used to be, and for that reason, you know, I'm all for publishers doing whatever they need to do to, do to make sure that books get out. But yes, there are. I wouldn't say it's underhanded necessarily, but people say yes to endorsing books because of favours, because a publisher or an agent or a friend has asked them. Um, they are, as I say, generally uh, sincere admiration for the book. Um, but yes, it's certainly an ecosystem of goodwill is what I would call it. An ecosystem of goodwill. I love it. Well, and in the interest of full disclosure, I should say too that you and I are speaking next weekend at the Port Ferry Literary Weekend about your new book, The Hummingbird Effect, which I'm very much looking forward to. And thank you so much for your time on Life Matters. Thanks so much for having me, Hilary. Kate Mildenhall is an author and podcaster. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.